In times of high interest rates and inflation, we feel more pressure than ever to track every penny. And this is particularly true for retirees who are managing their finances. While we need to keep an eye on our budgets and ensure our money is working for us through investments, there is another critical element of safeguarding our wealth. And that is ensuring that we are not defrauded in our day-to-day life. According to the Southern African Fraud Prevention Services, South Africa is a popular target country among fraudsters. Their statistics show that SA fraud incidents increased by 600% in 2022 compared to 2018. Retirees are often the target of such criminals who tend to play on emotions like fear, compassion and people's desire to be a good Samaritan. Financial crime against older adults is seriously problematic, not least because often victims are left with no way to recoup their losses. Anyone can be a victim of fraud and the principles of online safety apply to all ages. On this special edition of the Investec Focus Radio Essay Podcast, we'll be talking about fraud with Investec's Head of Fraud Risk, Kevin Hogan, and Rene Hrobler, Investec's Head of Cash Investments. We'll unpack the common strategies of fraudsters and provide practical ways in which you can safeguard your hard-earned money. Let's listen in on their discussion. Kevin, thank you for taking the time to enlighten us today a little bit around the strategies to make sure that you don't get caught up in these frauds that we've been speaking about. I think as head of fraud risk for Investec, I am sure you see some Weird, wonderful, and amazing things. I do. (laughs) And we work together very often in trying to keep our clients' money safe. So maybe let's just get into it. Uh, For our listeners, let's just start by debunking some myths. What on earth is phishing, vishing, and smishing? And for the listeners out there, don't don't get too worried. Um, We're not going to get too technical, but these are some of the terms used in terms of fraud. So, Kevin, maybe you can just clarify them for us a little bit. Yeah, sure. So let's start with phishing. I think it's the most commonly known one. Really what phishing is, is a fraudster using email to con you into going in a certain direction. So they'll either put a link in an email, it'll say to you, there's an outstanding payment due to see what's outstanding, click here and you click on that link and it'll send you to a fake login page. The whole point of the phishing expedition is to get you to give away your username and password and or engage with the link or attachment. There's a 69% chance that you could potentially download a virus if you click on that link or attachment in the document. So it's really to get people to engage with the email that would then lead them down this garden path. They think they're logging into the genuine page and they're not. So phishing is email. Then you get smishing, which is SMS. So exactly the same thing, just the channel is different. This channel is SMS. And then phishing, exactly the same thing, but the channel is the telephone. So I con you over the phone into doing something. For example, in the UK specifically, they get this quite a bit where people get phoned to say, listen, we're from your bank. There's been fraud in your account. You need to move it to a safe account. And all of that is done over the phone. And they quote you know, your card numbers and all sorts of stuff, which, which they've obviously stolen to convince you that it's real. So a lot of people, especially older people, get conned through phishing. It's, it's quite prevalent. So given that SMS that I got the other day that said um, your parcel is ready for collection, but you need to pay some kind of import duties, etc. And they had my tracking number, they had everything. And I was about to click on the link because I'm desperate for those pair of Nikes. And I didn't because I had you in the back of my mind saying, don't click, don't click. Was that potentially a fraud? 
100% of fraud. So unfortunately, all the courier companies have been infiltrated by the syndicates. The reason for that is the bad actors inside the courier companies are selling your information to the syndicates. So your name, your surname, your cell phone number, the tracking number of your package. The reason for that is, is that when you get this phishing email or this smishing SMS, they'll say to you, there's outstanding delivery free, outstanding VAT. But the whole con here is they quote your real tracking number. And it comes from what is perceived to be the real courier company. You know, if it's a FedEx or a courier guy, one of those guys, they're using all their logos. So your head and your heart is saying to you, this thing is completely genuine. They're using the correct courier company. They're using the correct tracking number. And then people engage with the content. And typically what happens is you push the button and the screen opens asking for your card information. You fill that in. And what you're actually inadvertently doing is you're filling in your card information for the fraudsters to put it on a cell phone because they want to load your card information on Apple, Samsung, Google, Garmin Pay. They then send you an OTP. You think it's a payment OTP and it's not. The OTP is actually to authorize your card information to be loaded on your phone. Mm -hmm. So the lesson here is, is if you get an email or an SMS like that, phone the courier company independently and first verify that there are outstanding amounts. What, what are the types of fraud that you see most common among South Africans? Well, I think more specifically what we're seeing is that the age demographic 50 plus and then 65 plus seem more susceptible to some of these frauds. I don't know if it's, you know, if we're too trusting of technology, um, maybe we're naive and we're not exposed to all this stuff. I don't know what it is. But there's, there's three that really stand out for me. So one of the most common scams we see is the investment scam. We're finding a lot of people that are on the brink of retiring or have retired already, um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have enough for retirement, that they're outliving their retirement funds and they want to supplement their income. So if an investment opportunity comes by them that they feel, oh, you know, I'm going to maybe double my money or even grow it by 30 or 40%, they want to do that. And unfortunately, they get conned into these fake investments. What makes them really good is these guys set up websites that look like the real thing. You get a username and password login. When you log in, you see all the indices, you know, all these fancy things from Bloomberg running at the bottom of the screen. You see all the fancy graphs. You see all the different stocks that you can buy. And then they show you what they've invested in and how much your money has grown. But all of that is fake. And what makes the scam really good is because you think it's real, you you don't realize that it's fake early on. And we've had clients who have come to us 24, 36 months later after paying the money to say they think they've been scammed. And typically what happens is you then decide, oh, I've made a thousand percent on my investment. I want to take the money out. Then they say, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, there's penalties and you would have to pay an additional fee because they're just trying to squeeze more money out of you. And unfortunately, the money's long gone. And the problem is some people have invested huge amounts, especially if they're your retirement funds, and their hearts and their heads won't let them believe that they've been scammed because they would then have to admit that they've been scammed and lost that money. So really the advice is here. Don't don't click on links in Facebook or messages that have been sent to you for these investments that seem too good to be true. Just stick to the traditional stuff. You know, regulation is there for a reason. It's to protect the consumer. And if you start to, you know, go through these channels, you can either invest with a fly by night or you can invest with a fraudster and you're never going to see your money. So this is where the value of a good financial advisor, good yes. financial advice comes in. Always check with them. Yeah, and some of these websites, even websites to buy things. Um, you know, look so real. I mean, how do you spot a fake? Is there a way to spot a fake? Well, interestingly enough, 
The first bad habit that you have that gets you into this problem is what I find bizarre. Let's say you want to go into your bank account, Investec, NetBank, Standard Bank, it doesn't matter what it is. People are not creating bookmarks on their computers where they click on the bookmark and it goes into the page. Generally, people go into Google and they just Google the word Investec, NetBank, Standard Bank, take a lot. And the first page that appears, they click on it. And then they go into the login screen. And so this is a habit that you have. The fraudsters prey on this habit. So we've seen an instance where they created a fake banking page. The URL had nothing to do with the bank at all. And because people were so used to clicking on the first one, they clicked on it. And it wasn't the genuine bank. The fraudsters had managed to rank that page above the real banks. They clicked on it and the bank's login page appeared. And they put in their user ID and password and gave away their login credentials. So so part of this theme around getting conned online is some of your bad habits are actually facilitating this, like Googling everything you want to go into. Phishing and, and smishing and all these things we've spoken about, part of the technique is to redirect you to a page that is not genuine. So to avoid this redirect is you want to bookmark those genuine pages. Just back to the the scams around investments. Um, we've seen a few, Kevin, where there's an email, an email that comes, an email instruction potentially that goes to your financial advisor or goes to your bank. It says, you know, we need to move these funds. It's, it's seemingly coming from you as the person being scammed, coming from your Gmail account, and it's got all your information in it. How do these fraudsters get access to your information? Because a lot of these cases look and sound like you, but they're not you. And you only find out later down the line when you're checking your account that the money's gone. It's basically what we call B business email compromise or BEC fraud or email hacking. But again, let's go back to the bad habit. What is the bad habit that's facilitating that? It's again, people are using the same passwords on multiple accounts. A lot of people have got the same password they've had for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They've never changed it. They've also got weak passwords. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six is not a password. Mm -hmm. And, and I suppose also elderly people seem to be intimidated by technology. So if, if, if I say to you, use a password manager, you're going to say to me, I don't know what that is. And, and I'm intimidated by it because it's not going to be in my phone and I have to do stuff and I probably have to get my nephew or my niece to help me. So I think that plays a role in people doing what's convenient as opposed to what's being secure. So these bad passwords habits are facilitating this issue. So now what happens is, is that you're using the same username and password and typically let's, let, let's use Gmail as an example. So a lot of people, especially if you're an Android phone user, you've got a Gmail account and people will use the Gmail email address and password for like 50 different things. Single sign-on doesn't help because Gmail actually allows you to do that as well. They, mm -hmm. they encourage it, which is not good. And so the fraudsters will then, you know, hack a particular page or a particular site's been hacked and you happen to use that password there. Now that password opens your email account. They'll go into your email account, they'll, they'll create filter rules that'll intercept emails that they want to see. Emails typically from your banks with the word invoice or payment in it. And I've seen this fraud done at a bicycle shop. So the bicycle shop will email you the invoice. They don't know that your email account's been hacked. That invoice gets intercepted and the fraudsters change the bank details on the invoice. You then get sent the invoice because they've spoofed your email address and all the historical conversations that you had with the bicycle company are there. So you believe it's genuine and you end up paying the fraudsters. Mm -hmm. And you've got to get into this habit that if it's not an account that you have as a loaded beneficiary, that you're paying over and over and over and over again, where this is someone you're paying once off, it's the first time you've done it, you need to pick up the phone and verify those bank details. Uh, BEC fraud is the number one fraud in the world by value and volume, also in South Africa. It's the number one corporate fraud. 
We'll continue this conversation in a moment. I'd just like to remind you that if you don't want to miss our episodes, you can subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate it. Let's talk a little bit about technology. We have spoken about it, but the cell phone. I mean, your cell phone these days is like augmented intelligence walking around with you. Um, I think most of us are using face recognition. I guess one of the biggest fears is that somebody gains access to your to your phone and then has access to all of your accounts, etc. A few things. Let's start with face recognition and save passwords on your device. Is that safe? Is it is it fine? Uh, or what's your view on that? So facial recognition is great. From the things that we've seen, the bad cars cannot bypass facial recognition. The problem with your phones, all phones, whether it's iOS, Android, Huawei, doesn't matter, they are designed that if the face recognition fails, they fall back to username and password. Mm. So it's not either or, it, it automatically falls back. Now the problem is, is that if you lose possession of your phone, the physical possession of your phone, the fraudsters can get into your phone really easily. Most people only have an eight to six character password, digit password for their phone. And if you look at some of the infographics online, how long would it take a fraudster to get into a six digit password or eight digit password? It's virtually instantaneous. So getting into the physical phone is not a challenge. Okay. But once they're in, the mistake people are making is they are saving passwords on the physical phone. So in your notes, in your contacts, in the keychains themselves. Because remember, if you've got a keychain, what do I need to get into your keychain? The password. So a keychain basically almost acts like a password manager. Apple have got a version of it, and so does Android, like Samsung, for example. And essentially what it does, it's like when you log into a website and it says, do you want to save the password? And you click yes. Now you can go into that site without putting in your password. The keychain acts in the same way. It's storing that password in supposedly an encrypted format, and it is encrypted, assuming no one knows the password. And as you go into your sites, you don't actually have to input any passwords. The problem is, you, your password to get into your physical phone is rubbish. It's six or eight digits. Mm. Um, I'm a lunatic. I've got a 23-character password on my cell phone because I'm paranoid that if someone gets hold of my phone that they're going to be able to get in. So I've made a very long password. And the longer your passwords are, the stronger they are. So the key element is here is if you lose possession of your phone, then all bets are off. And at the moment, the, the best way to protect yourself if you lose physical possession of your phone is to contact your bank and have all your bank accounts blocked. So if you're a bit scatterbrained like me, what is the best way to remember all these passwords? Because I know, I've learned from you, my password has to be at least 15 characters long. It has to have uppercase, lowercase, different kind of characters. It can't be the same password I use for all my accounts. Woolies has to be different, two checkers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm never going to remember all of these things. What do I do? Well, there's two sides of the coin. So for some of our older listeners, you can maybe do what my mom does. She's got a nice leather-bound book in her handbag, small one, and she writes all the passwords in the book. Now, obviously, if she loses the book, she's in trouble. But that's one way to do it. So you've got all your unique passwords. They're all in the book. That's one way. So if you don't like technology, you're intimidated by it, go that route. If you're a person that doesn't need 50 passwords and you only need five, I think you can remember five passwords. And a great way to do that is to use a passphrase, almost like a sentence. You know, Investec is the greatest bank in the world. That whole sentence is the password. Okay. Or alternatively, you can then look at a password manager and that's technology. So what is a password manager? Essentially, you can go into the app store and you can download a password manager. Um, if you pick the top five, you're probably generally safe, you know, as far as rankings are concerned. And what the password manager does is it allows you to create these long passwords and it remembers them for you. 
But there is one caveat here. All those passwords are encrypted, 256-bit encryption, and you only need one password ever for the rest of your life because the password manager will do it all for, for you. It'll autofill into the different websites you go into and all those different things. So it'll give you the security and convenience at the same time. You are less likely to get hacked using a password manager than if you keep, you know, these bad habits. And the only password you'd ever need to remember is the password manager. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure we can remember one password. Yeah, I can manage one. Yeah. <laughs> So we've spoken about the bad habits and some of the things that we need to do to protect ourselves. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what Investec does to protect clients uh, from these fraudsters. Well, firstly, let me say your security, you not falling victim to fraud is a partnership. It is not just the bank's responsibility. And a lot of people assume it is. So when, when we have clients who fall victim to fraud, everything gets put on the bank. Okay, but how did the fraudster get the PIN for your credit card? We don't even know what that PIN is internally. We have no clue what that PIN is. So the first thing I want to say, it's a partnership. You as the client have a a role to play in your protection, and so do we, obviously. So let's tackle them on those fronts. So what does the bank do? Obviously, there are the basics. So two-factor authentication is one of those security protocols. Everybody does it. All the banks do it. So what is two-factor authentication? It's based on something you have, which is your cell phone, and something you know, which is your username and password. So you put in your username and password, you get sent a one-time pin to your cell phone. That's that's almost like the beginning stages of security, and, and that's how it starts. But then it's things like we're doing today. Part of what we're doing today is awareness teaching you to have long passwords, which will protect you. So that's us partnering with you. Then you start to look at things like, if I have a Gmail account or if I have a telecom account or whatever, do I have two-step verification on my email? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the issues is, is that no local provider offers two-step verification for email. Okay, so maybe if your provider doesn't offer that level of security, you should be you know, stepping out of that. Obviously, from an investor perspective, we've got some proprietary stuff that we do on the back end, you know, some fancy AI stuff and some magic that goes on, which I can't really discuss. We don't want the bad guys to know what it is. But we, we by and large, can detect if we think a transaction is a rogue transaction, that it looks fraudulent to us. You know, if you're transacting in South Africa today and 30 seconds later we see a transaction in Brazil, it's very likely that might be fraud. And then obviously we're trying to future-proof ourselves. So as we see these new fraud modices occurring, like we spoke earlier, the, what we call the courier scam, mm-hmm. where they're trying to scam you, we are building protections there to try and help clients not fall victim to these frauds. So it's really us, you know, learning about the frauds as well and, and building solutions to help our clients. But also it's very important for our clients to arm themselves with the knowledge about this, you know. The one thing that frustrates me very often is that a lot of our comms around fraud, for example, goes to someone's junk mail. Mm. And we're not sending it to you to annoy you. We're sending it to you for a very specific reason. And I do understand that you get a lot of emails, but what I want to encourage you to do is please read your emails from your bank. Make sure that that you go onto their fraud pages and read about the latest frauds. We've got it on our own pages. Mm. So it's just, you know, getting your knowledge and we'll do our piece, I promise. And then just a few practical things. So if I suspect that there's been fraud on my account, what do I do as an investor client? Well, I suppose there are a couple of avenues here. So for example, we spoke about the investment scam. A lot of people who fall for the investment scam where they invest with, don't know that they've fallen victim to fraud. Mm-hmm. They, they come 24, 36 months down the line and then they realize, oh, I've fallen victim to fraud. They approach us to say, I think this is fraud. The problem with that type of fraud is your money is long gone. We will never get to that money. And most of the time that money's gone offshore. So it's very difficult for us to get to funds that have gone offshore. Typically when they are in South Africa, 
Our success rate is pretty good. So if it goes to one of the big four banks, we're able to reach out to those banks and say, listen, freeze those accounts. We think this is fraud. So that's the first thing. Then, for example, on your cell phone. If your cell phone is lost or stolen, that security is on you. You've got to phone us immediately. Borrow a phone from someone and make sure that you have your bank accounts blocked and your phone delinked from your profile. So that's the next phase. But then, for example, you might have online banking fraud or credit card fraud. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you need to phone us immediately. Don't wait for a transaction to, to occur before you tell us your card is gone. The second you realize, hang on, I don't have my physical card, rather phone us and let us put a soft block on it. Because a, a lot of people are, are quite anxious to have their card canceled, and then they suddenly find it, you know, three hours later. But you can actually phone in and soft block your card so that even if it's not actually lost, you know, it just fell between the seats of the car and you happen to find it, then at least we can lift that soft block because it may have been a fraudster and then you would have been, you know, uh, susceptible to them spending on your card. The other thing you also need to remember is we offer virtual card. Mm -hmm. So if you lose your actual physical plastic, you can just create a virtual card on your app and use that and carry on. So it's very important to let us know because very often we don't know that you've lost your card. We'll see a transaction at pick and pay that doesn't look fraudulent mm -hmm. and we're going to approve that transaction. So it's very important to tell us quite early. The same with online banking. If, if you see rogue transactions, anything happening in online banking, specifically with your OTP, mm. don't accept OTPs for sessions that you have not initiated. You're not logging into online banking, but you're getting an OTP. Mm. That's not normal. You shouldn't be saying yes. And what these fraudsters do is, is, is they do what we call velocity logins, where they try and log in over and over and over and over, and they're actually using a, a piece of software to do it. And it keeps popping up on your phone, and eventually you get frustrated and you put yes, mm. or, or you have finger trouble and you inadvertently let the fraudsters into your account. So a lot of these frauds that we've spoken about, they require you to facilitate the fraud being a success. So if you can understand what shouldn't I be doing, uh, it's very unlikely that the fraudsters will actually get into your accounts. So, so that's really important. But always inform your bank. You know, the second you see something weird, you get a transactional message that looks weird, inform your bank. Thanks, Kevin. I think that's given us a lot of food for thought. And um, hopefully we will all be a little bit safer in our online ventures. My pleasure. Thank you. There are many ways in which we can be deceived. Fraudster strategies have become more sophisticated but we are able to spot these deceptions when we take the time to learn about their methods and ways to protect ourselves. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Investec Focus Radio SA. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for this channel wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Bank Limited, an authorized financial services provider and registered credit provider.